All right. Welcome, moms. Um, my name is Liz Ackerman, and I am the co-host for the Mom to Mom Homeschool Connect through Moms for America. Um, we began our homeschool journey with our six kids in 1982, believe it or not, back in the day. <laughs> and all of our children were learned at home. They all went on to college. And I think the happiest thing that we can say about our family is that they all love to learn. And I have some grandchildren that are being homeschooled. And I am thrilled with all the wonderful educational entrepreneurship that is going on now. So many different modalities, so many people just doing cool stuff. Uh, parents um, are just taking back control for their children and um, setting a great example of continuing to learn themselves. So today our theme is making summer count. It's uh, homeschooling is wonderful, you learn all year round. And I am really pleased to introduce Brett Pike, who is, golly, has built from the ground up homeschool connections, um, homeschools connected, um, classical learners, uh, Brett has a BA in history education and a master's in special education. He started a classical con or classical learner in 2019 and in 2021 launched homeschool homeschools connected and he now has over a thousand families and it's growing. He's also the author of the um, Cubs to Bears series and oh, amazing uh, unit studies covering, history and science and a very uh, heavy in, um, emphasis on entrepreneurship, which what a great thing these days to have to help your children learn, not, not that just going and getting a job is negative, but being able to create and generate their own ideas, their own learning. So uh, without further ado, welcome to all of you. We will have question and answer time after after Brett's uh, presentation. If you have questions, put them in the chat. We'll be glad to address them. Um, and I'll just put, speaking of education, I'll just put a plug in for all the wonderful uh, seminars, cottage meetings that are available on the Moms for America website. There's everything from um, Liberty Kids Club, to uh, cottage meetings, Healing of America series, just amazing resources. So yes, do check out the Moms for America website. So I'll stop talking. Brett, please tell us about how you transformed from being a public school teacher to the creator of a homeschool community and wonderful resources. So on to you, Brett. Awesome, thanks Liz. Um, yeah, so I think I'll just jump into it by asking you a question that I ask parents when I sit down for consultations with them, or at least when I used to do consultations all the time. And the first question I would ask is, who do you want your child to be when they grow up? How do you envision them? And you would think that's a question that all parents ask themselves, all people ask themselves, who do I want my child to be? when they're 18 years old? Who do I want them to be when they're 25 years old? Who do I want them to be when they're 35 years old? But when you look at what people actually do, I don't think they really ask themselves that question because most people send them to public school and if they thought about it and what success looks like in public school, I think more people would pull their children out. and. When you talk about success in public school, you can take a child who does everything they're supposed to do. So this child shows up on time, is um, memorizes all the information they're supposed to memorize. They get A's on everything. They're in all the clubs. And what are they prepared to do when they're 18 years old? What are they prepared to do when they're 18 years old? Is that child 
capable of living a free and independent life. And I would say that even if they got a hundred, even if they were that A student, the majority of children graduate from public school and at 18 years old, the only thing they're prepared to do is to take out $100,000 in debt for four more years of education. And just imagine now you sat down with a principal at one of these schools or they were trying to recruit you to let you to let them educate your child. And you said, if I give you my three year old after 15 years of educating them, what will they be capable of achieving in the real world? And they said, well, the only thing they'll really be able to do at 18 is get into a good school and they'll be able to go into debt. And then maybe if they pick a good major, if they pick one of the few majors that actually matter, like engineering, then maybe they might be able to make enough money to pay back their debt. Would you send your child to be educated by that person? Most people would say no, yet most people make the decision to send their children to that institution every day in America because they're not asking themselves that question. What does success look like? Well, I developed my own formula for success and I did that through my own experience because when I came up, I did everything that the system told me I was supposed to do. And I went to college and probably didn't take it as seriously as I should have, but that probably worked in my favor. Um, and I got a bachelor's degree in history education. And then I got into my master's program. I took that really seriously. And um, I went to Queens College and I graduated with a master's degree in special education. I had a 4.0 GPA, not that that matters. Um, I won the award for the number one student in the program. I did everything I was supposed to do. And I remember when I got out of college thinking to myself, man, I don't, I don't feel like I'm really good at anything. Because what I discovered about the school system, the way it's structured is the value of public school, the value of college is the piece of paper you receive, not that it molds you into something of value. And that's why it's lost its value because the school system has stopped molding our children into something of value. Because if you sat across from me and said, Brett, start educating my three-year-old, give you 15 years, what will they look like? What will they be able to do when they're 18 years old? And I would say, well, we're not gonna focus on memorization. We're gonna focus on critical thinking. We're not gonna say that Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. We're gonna to learn to get back to primary documents and to evaluate them and your children are going to formulate their own unique understanding of what happened with historical events. We're not going to just repeat scientific facts as they're so-called, but they're actually going to develop a relationship with the scientific method using history and science to become critical thinkers, training them to use their discernment that we're going to prioritize skill development. I always tell parents skills over subject matter, not that skills don't matter. What does that mean? It's, yes, we want them to learn history. I mean, I'm a history guy. That's what I do for anyone that follows me. Yes, we want them to learn science. We want them um, to be readers and writers and all that thing. I, you know, I'll talk more about that. In fact, I'm an author of seven books myself, but we want them to have skills. We want them to be able to build things with their hands to be carpenters, to be engineers, to be artists, to be musicians, to be writers, to um, be able to take what's in their mind and bring it into physical reality, because then we can take those skills through following their interests and the things that they like, and we can use that to get them experience in the real world, to get them entrepreneurial experience, critical thinking, skill development, and entrepreneurial experience, what I call an education worthy of freedom where the learner at 18 years old is capable if you were to if they were to be thrown out on the streets at 18 year old god forbid if something happened to you and they were 18 years old they would be able to make it in the real world because they've spent their entire entire childhood preparing to make it in the real world developing through experience and through mindset 
what it takes to be a free and independent American, not dependent on corporations, not dependent on the government, and not even dependent on you, their parent. That is what an education worthy of freedom looks like. And what I've learned through running a homeschool company is that parents in America are capable, more capable than the school system of giving their children this education worthy of freedom. In fact, the best teachers I have ever met, and I've met many teachers, are regular parents all over the United States of America. We have a homeschool community and the things that the parents do is amazing. Raising young entrepreneurs, teaching them skills, getting them ready for the real world. And my objective today, the theme of this talk is one, to arm you with some resources so that you can start giving your children an education worthy of freedom. And two, to give you the confidence that I already have in you. The confidence that I have seen that has inspired me from parents all over America. Because whether you are rich, whether you are a single mother, you'd be amazing the single mothers I've met and the things they do. And when you see them do the things that they do, I go, okay, so anyone can do this. Anyone can do this because you would think, oh, how does a single mother with five or six children, a widower, um, you know, how, how can she do that? Well, I've seen it. They can and so can you. And as part of um, being in this seminar, I'm giving all of you our full nature unit study. And it's really designed to arm you with the resources to achieve all of the objectives I've talked about so far. And I started building it, I started building it out January 1st of last year. It's 46 weeks of lessons. It's really meant to be started on January 1st, but you could jump into it and do a ton of the lessons and um, really start to understand the concept of how you give your children this education worthy of freedom. So when you take the nature unit study, this is how it starts earlier in the year, and you can have your children do this right now, is we have the children take colored pencil and um, go outside and sketch their property, sketch the house, sketch the shed, sketch the front yard, the backyard, and then in as much detail as possible, and then take a compass, take the phone compass and just start walking around the property and then make directionals. Where is north? Where is east, west, south? Well, then they spend a full day tracking the sun's location in the sky. So they go outside at 8 a.m., where's the sun? Oh, go outside at 12 noon, where's the sun? You go outside at 5 p.m., where's the sun? Does the sun set in the east or the west? And start to learn a little bit, start to interact with the world around them. And the reason we're having them draw that map is they're actually going to use it to choose the best garden location and then once they choose that location, they're going to go outside with dad or mom. And um, after some planning, what materials do we need? How much does it cost? What's our budget? And they're actually going to construct, hammer and nail construction, their own garden box that they'll be responsible for taking care of over the course of the summer. And they plant, they do their research, figure out what plants grow in the area, look up planting zones, plant their seeds, and watch it, the roots go down, watch it sprout. Um, and then once the sprouts are ready, they take it outside and plant it in the garden. And they do all types of activities. They do at-home soil tests to figure out what is right or wrong with your soil. Make at-home fertilizer with eggshells and banana shells and study soil biology. They learn about good garden bugs and bad garden bugs and how do we attract the good garden bugs that we want. Well, you can make ladybug feeders, you can make bee baths, and then that creates an opportunity because with the making of garden boxes and with the making of ladybug feeders, they start to develop skills. So then what we do is we break off from the nature unit study and actually have them go into Etsy and type in ladybug feeders. And then when they type that in, they see all of these people selling ladybug feeders, what they look like and how much they sell for. And now you point out to them that this is something you can do. And they could sell their ladybug feeder, they could not sell it, but you're starting to develop mindset and you're starting to give them avenues of, hey, you know, you have this skill now, you can do something with it. In fact, 
you know how to build garden boxes. If you wanted to, you could print flyers and you could put them on the doors of um, all of your neighbors. And I'm sure there are neighbors that would be more than happy to pay you to build them some garden boxes this year, right? So you're just giving them avenues in which they can start to do different entrepreneurial things. And it's how we start to mold them to develop a mindset that they can create their own opportunities in the world. And then we want to combine that mindset with giving them the experience of actually doing things. So when they're 18, even if you are taken out of the picture, they've been doing this their entire life. They understand what it takes to make it in this world, the rugged individualism that originally defined what the United States of America was. So we are um, guiding them throughout this process. So they make their ladybug feeders and they plant flowers. And then we actually have another breakaway lesson in which when their flowers grow, they could host, um, they could do a few things. They could host a backyard flower sale. They can approach a local floral shop and actually offer to form a business partnership in which they sell their flowers. And then maybe that becomes a business partnership in which they actually do that for the next few summers for a local florist, which is such a cool concept. This idea that a young person's young adult could form these business partnerships and understand the value of that and what that looks like from such a young age. And then at the end of the season, everyone who does the nature unit study is challenged to actually host an end of summer business event. So that could look like taking the crops you used and hosting a bake sale, cooking something, hosting a bake sale, or um, setting up a backyard farmer's market, or if you grew a lot, actually paying for a table at a farmer's market and going and selling your products because it's only about $50. So if they grew enough crops, they could theoretically do that as well. There's no one right way to do it. You have to figure out what works for your family, but what we as parents want to do is provide them opportunities. Here's another example of what that looks like outside of the nature unit study. Um, one of the things I love to do is have children do craft projects and you can do this with a billion different things you can do this with. Um, I have them do craft projects and then within the craft projects, there's actually um, additional lessons in which they could then follow the lessons and get some entrepreneurial experience. So one of the examples, an example of that would be to make an American flag out of a wooden board, right? You get the board, you sand it down, um, you have it cut to the right size or cut it to the right size. If they're ready for that, you have to be careful with stuff like that, disclaimer, right? Um, but you have them get this flag board and they sand it down and they paint it and they make it an American flag. And then after that, again, there's just guidance on different things you could do. Look how some people sell these flags online. You could sell them on the Facebook marketplace. Um, you could sell them on sites like Etsy, right? If you're going to do that, you might have to learn how to do some social media marketing and they could start to read books on social media marketing and make marketing videos themselves for parents that don't want your child's face. That's fine. You teach them how to make those marketing videos without actually ever showing their face. And you start to teach them additional skills like marketing and videography and narration and the art of public speaking, which I hope I'm doing a decent job of here. So you're teaching them um, skill after skill and you're using them to develop a mindset and get them experience in the real world. And if I sound redundant, that's for a reason. Mindset and experience, mindset and experience, critical thinking, skills, entrepreneurial, critical thinking, skills, entrepreneurial. These basic concepts as a parent, if you understand them, you can do amazing things with your children. And that's why I say, I know parents all over the United States of America who are better educators than anyone you see in public school because public school teachers are trapped within the framework that has been created for them by the Department of Indoctrination. And it's not necessarily designed to get children ready to live free and independent lives. It's designed to teach them to be a corporate paper pusher and to be a good citizen as they see it, which might not be the same values that you and I have. And speaking of good citizens, when I'm a historian, and when you look at the history of the United States of America, you look at World War II, when Americans were called to do very courageous things, and the men in America were called 
to go overseas and fight people they never met to the death and fighting in a war and I mean, just everything that goes along with that. And the women in America were called to factories. They were called to be Rosie the Riveter, right? Well, America's current enemies, at least the worst ones, in my opinion, are not foreign, but they are domestic. They are not foreign authoritarians, but they are corrupt local authorities. And the modern day Rosie the Riveter is the mom that stays home and raises her children with true American values that does not allow them to be indoctrinated into the type of ideology that is self-hating and extremely inappropriate and destructive. By teaching your children traditional American values like rugged individualism, like the value of your community, of Christian community, or whatever community you might be a part of. But service to your family is service to your country. And every single one of us is capable of building the families and the country we want. And it doesn't start with people out there or, you know, this politician or that. It's just the person in the mirror and we're all capable of it. And that's really what I want to say today. Oh my goodness, Brett, where were you 40 years ago? You probably weren't even born. But <laughs> Close. That, oh, that is wonderful. Um, I still remember graduating from college with a sinking feeling like, now what can I do? What can I, literally, what can I do? Um, yes. Uh, and I happened, well, this was a while ago, but I met a woman who was a real life Rosie the Riveter. She was a welder on the Liberty ships and her stories were amazing. And I really appreciate what you said about the modern day Rosie the Riveter is the mom, the, those that that work and try to build the family. Um, let's see. So what are some things that, how can homeschooling moms make the most of this summertime? Do you have any thoughts? You've talked about your wonderful nature study. That's amazing. Any other thoughts? Um, what can a, like a young, oh, I don't know, say nine, 10, 11 year old, how can they be an entrepreneur during the summer? Any thoughts on that? Well, the first thing I always tell parents is you want to follow the interest of your child. So um, for instance, I've known nine-year-old girls that have ran successful slime companies, right? They sell slime. I've known other uh, nine, 10 year olds that sell jewelry, right? Some young kids, um, they just want to do something like lemonade stands and that's perfectly okay. We're not trying to be Warren Buffett or nine or 10. We're trying to develop mindset and pair that with experience. Um, and then we're using our skills to do that, right? And as we do that, you want to just keep teaching your children to be critical thinkers and develop a mindset where when they see a, a challenge, they take that challenge on and they learn to adjust and overcome it as they keep improving themselves and developing new skills. You might have a child that is interested in photography. Well, they could start a local photography business. They could do photographs for families with newborn babies. If you are um, looking more toward December, they could start a seasonal business in which they're doing people's Christmas photos. Right. Um, there's so many different things that your children can do. You just want to give them the autonomy, but the responsibility of if you're not working a summer job, then your challenge is to do something business like over the course of the summer. That can be getting them a lawnmower and having them talk to some neighbors and maybe starting a small summer lawnmower business. And it's funny when they start doing that at nine or 10 years old. Don't be surprised if they have a real full um, landscaping business by the time they're 18 or 15 or 16 and um, their lives can just take amazing paths. So you just want to channel into that interest, follow it and then guide it. Yes. Oh, there's so many stories of young entrepreneurs that have made their first million by their like 19, 20, 21. And it is so possible these days. Um, let's see. Uh, so wonderful ideas for helping 
um, helping kids become entrepreneurs. Oh, I was going to ask you, critical thinking. Do you have any books or any, how can the parent even develop critical thinking skills? Do you have any, what resources do you use or have you used to develop critical thinking skills? So I'm going to touch that in a, in a few different ways. Um, first, we touched on a little bit, which is when your children study history, um, are they just memorizing what's in the textbook or are they actually getting back to documents? Are they reading original writings and formulating their own opinions of what actually of what happened? Right. Are we having them use their discernment and use their critical thinking and judge if documents are good or judge if people are a good source or not on their own? Or are we just telling them you have to memorize this? And if you repeat it back now, you get a good grade when they learn science. Are we having them memorize, you know, this theory or that theory that's taught as fact in our school systems? Or are we making sure that they develop a relationship with the scientific method? They're using their discernment, they're observing, they're asking questions and they're testing things. We become critical thinkers by um, critically thinking. And then another thing that we like to do is um, and this kind of gets into the background of what a classical education is. In a classical education, early in a child's life, um, they are, it's called grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And in the grammar phase, children are learning English. They're mastering language. They're learning that words have meaning. So like one of the things I like to do with my son is when we're reading books, whenever we come across a word that we don't understand, we actually go look up the definition of words. And then we'll have a talk and we'll say, you know, if we don't understand the definition of a word, it's going to be hard for us to get the greater meaning. So this is why we always do that. The importance of defining terms. Um, this is also a concept they'll teach you. If you were to join the Princeton debate team, the first um, rule that they would teach you is that you have to force your opposition to define their terms, because if you don't, they can use those terms interchangeably and bend their arguments against you. And that's what we see happening in the political sphere and the news sphere, they're just bending the meaning of words. We don't let them do that. When a child gets to about fifth grade, they transition to the logic phase, fourth, fifth grade, depending on where they are, um, the logic phase, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And in the logic phase, it's about learning your basic ABC logic, which most people know ABC logic, if then, right? And the logical fallacies. And I actually, teach an entire course on the logical fallacies. What is a straw man argument? What is an ad hominem argument? What is a red herring? When someone makes a claim, who has the burden of proof, right? They're making these claims. Do you have to say no and prove them wrong? Or do you force them to prove themselves to be right with evidence? And then if when they go to use that evidence, they can't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm Dr. Fauci, I'm the big honcho here. No, no, that's a plea to authority. I understand that you're Dr. Fauci, can you show me the evidence? And they say, well, the studies, you know, 100% of scientists agree, say that's a plea to authority, that's, that's great. I understand that 100% of scientists agree. Um, can you show me why they agree, right? So you're training them to actually get back to the evidence and identify logical fallacies. This is what they teach at elite private schools, um, it's grammar, logic. And then as they get older, once you understand grammar and logic, you teach them to be communicators, to use rhetoric and to tap into people's emotions, um, actually through the fallacies, which is kind of funny, right? Through pleas to authority and things of that nature. So we're teaching them history in a way that develops critical thinking. We're teaching them science in a way that develops critical thinking. In early childhood, we're learning that words have meaning, we're learning logic, and then we are um, learning the logical fallacies. And this develops sort of what I call as an intellectual self-defense, right? Because now you understand logic and if something's illogical, then you'd challenge that young person. If you find a logical contradiction, you either have to find more information as to what you're missing, or you have to evaluate why you thought what you thought and say, is my worldview wrong? Because it's illogical, right? So you're developing critical thinking and you're developing discernment through the way that you do that. And then the last way is through the activities you're actually doing. So when your child's 
starting that lemonade stand, there's all kinds of challenges and all kinds of problems. And we are not solving them for our children, but we're serving as guides to help them overcome those hills, to overcome those mountains on their own. And by doing that, it's like sharpening a knife. They're becoming confident in their critical thinking. They're becoming confident in their ability to solve problems and they're developing their discernment. And that's what we want to do with our children. Well, I would think that's what we want to do with ourselves. And um, I, do you find, I mean, you were educated in the public school system. How did you develop these qualities in yourself? Because I would imagine that Mrs. Brown, did, the, your teacher, did not sit down and teach them to you. How, how can a parent who has not grown up with these skills, how can they acquire them? Yeah, I am. Um, it's a good question. Um, I when I when I came through the system, I was really like everyone else. I was very asleep to the world. Um, I really probably the younger version of me was into dumb things. Like I was really interested in going out, getting drunk, and chasing girls. Like that's what I was interested in at that age. And, and now, as um, a married man of two children, I I don't ever put anything in my body that will impair me in any way because that doesn't allow me to be the strongest version of me. And that doesn't set the example that my children need to see. And um, I always tell people, if you do something in moderation, your children will do it in excess. So you need to be very careful what you do in front of your children, right? Um, you know, you might've listened to some risque music, but your children are going full Elvis, right? And that's what we've seen generation after generation where you do something in moderation, You've established that it's okay through your actions, um, and now your children will do it. That's just a little bit sidetracked. But um, so when I'm very different now than I was then, but when I came up, I, I, could, I was kind of an idiot. And um, as I, I brought the touch on this a little bit earlier, when I was a junior and senior in college, I started to take it more seriously. And by the time I got to my master's program, I took it really seriously. And then I got a 4.0 GPA, blah, blah, blah. And... Um, I graduated and I didn't feel like I had any skills or really knew anything about the world. And um, my friend said to me, there's this guy, um, Richard Grove, who hosts the Peace Revolution podcast. And he's saying all these things are different. It's different history. And I told my friend, he was an idiot. You're an idiot. You know what you're talking about. Um, this guy, Richard Grove's an idiot. So I started listening to his podcast um, and my background as a historian, I was really good at getting back to primary documents. That's one of the good things. That's one of the things that I, I did learn through becoming a history major. And I listened to Richard Grove and I said, I'm going to get back to the documents. I'm going to show you why Grove's an idiot. And I started digging, going back and getting the documents. And mm, eh, eh, all right, you know, he's, he's right about that. Eh. And, and, you know, by the end of the week, because I, I was like, how could this be? I really dove into it. I was like, okay, wow, a lot of what I learned in school was um, inaccurate or nonsense or narrative driven. It's, it's not true. Or how could I have learned that, right? Um, so I realized that what I learned wasn't right. But um, rather than jumping into this, is what people do, they learn something's wrong, and they just adopt a new worldview. I said, ah, I really have to evaluate how this could have happened in the first place. Um, and that, that's really where I started to develop this concept of intellectual self-defense. So I started going through history things, historical things that I accepted as true. And I started saying, okay, well, I'm going to get back to documents and I'm going to find out what is actually true and what's not. And anything that um, becomes a logical contradiction, like I knew this because I was told, but I don't have any evidence of it, right? Um, then I'd have to throw it out. And I just started rebuilding my worldview through this intellectual self-defense. It's like a antivirus software for your brain. Um, and anyone can do it. You just, you really have to start categorizing things of what I know, what I really know, because I've seen it for myself and I got back to it. Um, what I think I know, it comes from, you know, people that I trust and it sounds pretty good. And I think I know that, but I'm not quite certain. Um, and you know, what I, what I don't know. And if you could start breaking things up into that, you develop this intellectual self-defense. One of the ways 
Um, one cool assignment that I did with the kids um, that I have available as a unit study, but I probably should have mentioned, by the way, anyone who wants to try out Homeschools Connected, um, if you type in classicallearner.com slash moms for America, um, you could sign up, you get a three day free trial. Um, a portion of that will actually help fund moms for America. And it's $15 a month, not for your, your child, for your whole family. So even if you have 10 children, it's just $15 a month. Um, we don't cover everything. We don't cover everything yet. I'm 18 months into this, but what we do cover is very unique and um, very valuable. And we have a mission. There's a purpose behind the things that we do. Sorry about that. So as I was saying, so one of the things um, I did a unit study on, like a fun social studies unit study was the Georgia Guidestones. Um, and I don't know if everyone in here is familiar with the Guidestones, but yeah. months back, I don't know, six, eight months back or something like that, um, someone blew up the Guidestones, a bomb went off and they blew them up. And it was a very interesting topic. Like what can you get children interested in? That's, that's interesting. Someone blew up this monument. Why did they blow up this monument? Why did you do that? What is it? So what did it say? Well, you see why someone blew it up. It had a creepy message on it. It said, um, paraphrasing here, but something along the lines of, we're going to depopulate the earth so that there's only 500 million people on earth. We're going to um, control people's reproduction, like real creepy stuff, the type of stuff that unfortunately we hear <laughs> from the authorities, right? The type of things that right bill gates wants to do right he says we, we really need to lower the population by 15 percent you're like oh you're creepy so um so these these stones had that message on it there were 10 points on the stone it's like a 10 commandments for satan or something like that and um it was actually written in it was carved in stone in eight different languages and four um ancient languages egyptian right so this is an interesting thing. I said, okay, I'll do a unit study with the kids on the Georgia Guidestones because there was so much speculation on what are these stones? Every conspiracy theorist in the world had a, an opinion on these stones since they were made in, in 1981. So when I started researching the stones, I, I didn't know what they were. I, you know, I heard about them and um, had my own you know, thoughts about them, like, oh, creepy stones, but did I really know? No, through my intellectual self-defense, I was able to say to myself, you know, I, I, people have said things, but I don't really know anything about these stones other than that they exist. And um, so I started doing the research and I said, well, they had to be expensive. So the banks were probably involved and they had to be built. So um, contractors had to be involved. So I started um, doing forensic research, forensic history. And um, I was able to track down the banks that um, held the money in escrow. And I was able to track down the, um, I'm going to probably get this wrong, the, I think the Elberton County Granite Company in Georgia, which was actually in charge of the project. So I said, okay, now I'm making some headway. We're tracking the money and we're figuring out who actually built these stones, not just the new world order is coming. Yeah, who built the stones? Right. So uh, I was able to find the contractors, able to find the bank. And then what I found was really interesting. And it's amazing with all the conspiracy theorists out there that no one's known about this, that the contractor, the Elgin County Granite Company that built these stones, um, they actually wrote a manifesto in 1981. And when you read it, so I found this manifesto, I tracked it down, I got a copy of it. Um, it's clearly written by whoever authorized the, the building of these stones. And it was really fascinating. They were like hyper interested in a Stonehenge. They were really into art and how the mystery behind Stonehenge and its stone building construction made it um, last for thousands of years. And that's what they were trying to do with the Georgia Guidestones. They were using the same mythology as Stonehenge. Um, so anyway, so you're reading this manifesto and they talk about their 10 bullet points and why they believe in it. Um, that they, they do, um, all the people involved, they don't talk about who funds the project. They never admit who they are, but the people they hire to do the project and they did this on purpose. It's really interesting. We're 33rd degree 
Freemasons, like everyone that worked on these projects was a 33rd degree Freemason. And not like, oh, look at the Masons, like they were playing into the mystery of this. That it's the hedge, um, the stone hedge philosophy, right? So you're looking at this Freemasons, the carvings that were done on the stone, they were actually transcribed by the United Nations. They said, oh, this is the globalism, this is the new world order. Well, I don't know that, maybe, maybe not. What they did was they wrote it out in English and they sent it to the United Nations and requested that it would be transcribed in these different languages. And the United Nations, um, they probably paid for it, um, did the transcriptions for them, right? So um, you could start to separate, okay, what I know and what I don't know. So, you know, what I know is that some clearly well-funded people, because this stuff cost a lot of money, um, they were able to have these stones constructed. I know they used these bankers, they used this construction company, they wrote a manifesto, um, they hired 33rd degree masons, they hired the United Nations. Um, now I can get into what I think. Do I think the Freemasons were behind this? Maybe you do, maybe you don't based on that information, but you don't know that, right? Do I think the United Nations is behind this? You know, maybe you think they were, maybe you don't, but you don't know that. And what you're doing is you're starting to separate what you actually know. These stones were made. They were funded by people who clearly had funds. Um, you know, who these people were, I don't know. All right, who was involved in the project? Well, these groups were kind of involved in the project. Were they behind it? You might think so. And, and that would be a reasonable conclusion for some of the draw, but you don't know that, right? So what we're doing is we're teaching young people through this fun activity to separate what I know, what I think and what I suspect, and then what I don't know, right? Um, so everything we're doing is designed through these studies. Um, and again, you're getting into the tracking of money, right? You're getting back into the tracking of people um, and then separating what you know and you don't it's the development of this intellectual self-defense and um, it's the type of thinking processes that um, really create anti-fragile people who are able to take on the challenges and even the propaganda that is thrown in front of us every day. Wow. Thank you. That very interesting, a process that you could just take anything and apply it to. Well, we, are coming to the uh, question and answer time of this very interesting webinar. Does anybody have questions for Brett or about the program, about the processes, about critical thinking resources? Come off mute or and um, ask or ask away or put it in the chat. And it's your time, moms. What what questions do you have? If you'll raise your hand, if you'll press the little raise your hand button, I'll be happy to help you get off mute. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Amy? Um, yeah, that's me. Um, uh-huh. How do those single moms pull that off? That seems like quite a feat. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, it is quite a feat. And that's why, I mean, they amaze me. But um, what you want to do as a single mother is first understand that you don't have to replicate public school. That you are not replicating public school. That you can do things differently. You could do things informally. You can do things on your time frame, on your schedule. Schooling doesn't have to be from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. It could be in the morning. It could be in the night. It could be on the weekend, which is a great opportunity, right? So you don't have to replicate public school. And then what I suggest to single mothers is you really want to try to develop as many support networks as you can. And you know, I say, oh, I don't have the networks. Well, part of what you're doing is you, you start to try to establish those networks. So at first, that could be family resources. That can be mom, dad, this is what I'm doing. And can you help me with this on Tuesdays? 
And, um, you know, even if they voice opposition, you say, no, you voiced opposition. You don't think I should be homeschooling. Sometimes that's the case. You say, I understand that, but I am. So if you're really concerned about it, then step up and help. And I need you to help on Mondays. That could be an aunt. That could be a family friend, right? And then what you want to do is try to find a network of homeschooling people around you. So the first place you want to look is Facebook. I don't love Facebook, but they're good for this. Um, look for homeschool networks on Facebook in your area. Um, other things you can do, you can call local zoos, local museums, local gyms, go to local churches and ask them all if they're hosting any homeschool events or if they know of any homeschool groups in the area. The churches often know groups and um, so that's a good resource. And then the places like the zoos, they host events for homeschool parents. They make money doing that. So they, they host them, you show up and you network. Um, my homeschools connected. The reason I called it that is the idea was actually to connect families. Um, so we have groups in all 50 states and other countries around the world, which is pretty cool. Um, so we have a state group in New York, a state group in Oklahoma, you name it. Um, where parents could try to connect with people in the area they live. Doesn't always happen, but it's happened a good amount, which is pretty cool. Um, so you want to figure out your schedule, figure out what works for you when you're going to school um, and when your children will do less formal things um, and what that looks like. And then you want to really make it a, a mission to develop your support network. And you can do that in a variety of different ways. Um, but, and it doesn't have to happen all at once, but you can do it and it's definitely worth it. So I know it probably feels incredibly overwhelming if you're a single mother, but you start, you don't climb a mountain with a big leap. It starts with one little step and you're looking up at a big mountain. And then hours later, you look down, you can't believe how far you've gotten. And that's, that's how you approach it. Yes. Um, does that. Does that help, Amy? Yeah, it does. I, I'm not a single mother, but I mean, I guess in my situation, it would be even easier then. Yes. Um, another good place, ask your local librarian, because homeschoolers live in the library. So yes. uh, that, that would be a good place. Also, as Brett was saying, don't re, don't try to re, re, um, re copy public school. Um, I was amazed at how quickly our kids learned to read. And it wasn't just we drill, drill, drill. It just, yeah, it just doesn't take that long. That's true. The uh, pandemic taught, taught a lot of people how to uh, do it on the fly. It was a choice between learning at nothing or learning when you're working. So I think that kind of demolished a lot of fear of it for me. Good, good, good. Um, other questions? That was a great start. Other questions about... Um, Brett's program or entrepreneurship. I think that you'll find moms that as you get going and start thinking this way, it kind of snowballs. You you learn, you build some um, abilities and then with using those abilities, you're able to build more. And then with using those abilities, you keep building more. So yeah, reach out. It's, it's wonderful. Homeschooling is no longer the mom and kids sitting around the kitchen, huddled around the kitchen table. Reach out mm -hmm. into your communities. Other thoughts or questions? Yeah, if, if, um, if you're getting started too, you might want to read books like um, the five hour school week is a really good book. Um, a well-trained mind is another really good book. Don't start with that one. That will come off a little intimidating. Um, cause the she's Bauer, I think, right. So she's very intense, yes. um, a more, a very more hands-on homeschooler, but you'll see the different things that people can do and how you can structure your life to work for you. So a five hour school week is a really good place to start. Mm-hmm. I just want to share. <clears throat> Sorry, y'all. My voice is. Um, hey, I'm here. I just, I have this thing. I just want to share, Brett. Thank you so much because I love 
that you approach this from an entre- entrepreneur standpoint. Yes. I've got yeah. teenagers. You've, you're now connecting instead of great. We've learned things. That's awesome. We need to learn things, but you're now connecting learning to now go be sufficient, go be self-sufficient, take yourself from nine years old to 16 to 21 and on. And I love that's not a lot of people see that unless you are a business major, right? That's not something you see all the time. So I love your resources. Your books are awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really happy to be here. And you guys are uh, pretty cool that you're doing this. So. Well, it's important. Any other thoughts? Anybody have any successes they want to share? And all y'all have to do if you want to talk is just press unmute. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to turn your camera on or anything. I was just thinking I was definitely going to do the nature thing because we just started a garden and the ladybug thing and, and uh, you know, bringing the building aspect of that. That was really cool, too. Definitely doing that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, you just um, you just start and one thing leads to another. And just keep in mind that your goals are critical thinking, skill development and real world experience. And if you just keep reminding yourself of how do I hit these three points? How do we develop skills, right? We just find activities that we can learn more and more skills. You could then use those skills, pair it with your child's interest and guide them to get the experience that allows them to develop a mindset and pair it with that experience. And when you put that together, it's it's a recipe for a young person who's able to carry themselves through this world which to me as a parent you know every you know a lot of things are nice but i really just want to raise young people that are good people they're moral and they're able to be independent and if i if i do that for them then they'll be able to walk whatever path they're they're destined to walk yes and oh it would shrink our welfare roles wouldn't it um one thing that we did as our kids became teenagers take their interest and then go find somebody in the community and and discuss with them, can my daughter, son come and work with you? You don't even have to pay them. Can they be a gopher? Can they shadow you and do some of the grunt things and then kind of watch and see what you learn? We had a daughter apprentice with a graphic designer. She went on and majored in that so the sky is really the limit of getting your kids involved in life have them if you know somebody that's doing what your child is interested in invite them over for dinner or whatever and just reach out into the community uh retired people are a wealth of information and they've got the time so there's the sky really is the limit and it really becomes an adventure for not only the kids, but you. And as your worldview and your abilities, you as the parent grow and your critical thinking and your your entrepreneurial skills, who knows, maybe you'll start your own business. So any other thoughts or questions? We're kind of getting close to the top of the hour here. Just press, uh, come off mute and, or put something in the chat. Keep in mind too, that people in the community, they want to help young people do these things. It, Mm -hmm. it makes them feel good about themselves. For instance, a, a mom and pop thrift store where your child starts making some type of product, whatever it might be that they like to make. And then they go to that thrift store and say, um, do an impressive presentation. They say something like, um, I'm making this jewelry, whatever. And um, I'd love to form a business relationship. And I know that um, you have to profit on that. And that's important to me. Um, So I was, what I was thinking is we can structure something where I make you these jewelry. This is how much it costs me to make. And this is how much I think you could sell it for. um, And I could sell to you at wholesale. 
And when a business like a thrift store or a mom and pop business, a local business sees that, they're very impressed and they want to help. And you could even start to teach your child to think like a marketer, to highlight their attributes, where they're saying they could go to that mom and pop, that thrift store, and they could say, and not only can we form that partnership, but you can actually then advertise that you help young people in the community become entrepreneurs. You could even yes. um, call it part of your entrepreneur program where you work with young people in the community. And then when the people in the community see that, they'll mm -hmm. want to support you. And you're teaching them how to think like a marketer, how to think like um, a salesperson, how to think like a business person who is forming business relationships because forming relationships is a superpower um, and to really to do the things and accomplish the things that your kids want to accomplish in life. Yes. What a good idea to get the, the business owner as part of the team and just get this whole group. And Jessica said, we have had great luck with local a business who let my daughter display her bracelets. Yeah. yeah. I have a, a young friend down the street who he was making these beautiful earrings and was um, displayed at local business and he was busy. So there's just, yeah, there, really the sky is the limit. Uh, any other comments, questions? Oh, thank you, Amy. Amy says, great presentation. I agree. Brett, you are doing, you are doing a wonderful work. And yeah, I know that you're balancing doing all this, being a dad and homeschooling your kids. Do you have any final words of encouragement or um, final thoughts for our, our mom, mom listeners here? Yeah, um, I mean, I kind of touched on it before, just in that it doesn't have to be intimidating, that you start with baby steps and you have complete control over your schedule. Um, for anyone that's a new homeschool parent, you want to go to hslda.org. That's the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. You'll see they have a map of the United States of America. You click on the state that you live and the regulations will pop up that you should be aware of and any paperwork that you would have to file because you want to make sure that you dot your I's, cross your T's. Never pull your child out of public school until you get formal approval. Do things the right way. This way, no one, because there are people in the world that want to give you problems. You do it the right way, no one can give you any problems. So you protect yourself that way. Um, you um, set up your record keeping like you, before you jump into it. So how am I going to keep records? You say, all right, I'll get an attendance sheet. Um, homeschool's connected, we have printables. You go on Amazon, you can get them for $5 and attendance book for the whole year, the same books they use in schools. Um, and then you just keep basic records of um, these are the courses we covered. These are the materials we used, maybe some portfolio stuff. Look at this art picture that Johnny drew. Um, and these are the extracurriculars we did. Um, so you're just setting yourself up for success. Don't jump in too quickly um, and you'll be fine. And um, I would be remiss if I didn't plug my own thing. Um, ClassicalLearner.com or Homeschools Connected. It's $15 a month, um, well worth the value. Um, and if you sign up, ClassicalLearner.com slash Moms for America, it has to be that link. Um, then you get the three-day free trial and um, you also support Moms for America, which I think is a very cool thing, so. Oh, thank you so much. I'm getting um, good cut. Yes, really enjoyed this as Kayla, thank you. And um, I'm sorry that you don't see your full name here, um, that it was great. Thank you so much. So again, thank you, Brett, you are doing, you are such, doing such a great service. I truly appreciate it. Heather, same thing. Thank you to exclamation marks. So may you continue to grow. And thank you, moms, so much for attending. This will be available on the website. Um, and you will be 
getting a link for this wonderful, was it 45 weeks of free um, nature and gardening unit study? Thank you. That's just really, really generous. So any other closing comments? I just well, want to say that I love that Brett's a dad who's taking on this challenge. So often homeschool families or homeschool moms, I love that you're representing the dads too. And you're yes. just championing the cause for these kiddos and you're a young dad and you're awesome, dude. You're just amazing. I yeah. love it. Thank you so much yes. for your time. Yes. You know, Thank you for your time. You All know, right. You just follow God's path. And um, for me, it, it led me to being an educator and then, you know, you wake up and you see the problems with the system and my reaction is to fight. So if I don't like it, we'll just build a better <laughs> one. All right, good. Well, thanks for giving us all armor to fight with. Surely appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, goodbye everyone. Thank you.